Welcome to GRE Snacks, snackable episodes about the GRE exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable GRE course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to get you better results in less time. You can try it out for free at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off at checkout. Also, if you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss in a future episode, please contact me at tyler at achievable.me with the subject line podcast topic. Now, let's get started. Today, we've got Lawrence Linker from MBA Link, appropriately named, on the line with us. And Lawrence, I'd love if you could share a little bit about yourself and your company. Hi, Tyler. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. Yeah, so MBA Link is an MBA admissions consulting firm. We do a little bit of GMAT prep as well, but, but, but primarily MBA admissions consulting. And I think what makes us different is that we try to take cues from the professional executive coaching um, service model and bring that into the MBA admissions consulting space. So rather than sort of like the standard uh, kind of academic consulting uh, sort of service that, that a lot of admissions consultants offer, we think that we bring something a little bit more to the table by acting as our young professionals first executive coach so we think that a lot of the people that we work with are probably going to uh, go on to do great things with their careers. And at some point when they're transitioning from a CFO to a CEO role or taking on some huge regional management role, their companies are probably going to provide them with some executive coaching services. Uh, mm-hmm. I have done some executive coaching myself. And using that background, I thought this is the perfect kind of framework to use for MBA applicants, uh, the mm-hmm. challenges of translating the skills that you have for the challenges that are now uh, coming towards you um, are really the same. So um, mm-hmm. we wanted to apply that discipline into the MBA application space. Yeah, fantastic. And I love that you guys also have a focus on um, like high-end schools, right? Because I think that particularly with MBA programs, that's what everyone wants to know <laughs> how to get into the high-end, right? Yeah, I think, you know, I, to, be, to be quite honest with you, Tyler, um, my interest is not just in high-end schools. I think mm-hmm. it comes more from the fact that, um, you know, at the price point that we're offering the service to, um, you know, a lot of uh, our, our clients really see the, the best ROI at the high-end schools. Um, right. But we have been, uh, well, I guess, look, high-end is a little bit, uh, you know, a little um, snobbish, but maybe let's say the more competitive schools, uh, sure. more selective programs. Um, but we have been contacted in a, a number of times by, and worked with people who are applying to schools that are not extremely selective. But from people who say, look, I just don't have any experience uh, in business. I'm going into something totally different. And I would just really appreciate uh, Mm -hmm. someone that can help me, you know, um, guide me through this. And and that's fine. And then the last thing I would mention on this is that, um, you know, one of the uh, interesting success factors that I've found in my many years of doing this is that... um, applicants that are looking to go to the right school for them typically go to the best schools. 
So we mm. have a, uh, a very long form on our site. That's our, our intake form. So if you want to do a free consultation with us, you'll go to mymbalink.com and click on free consultation and you get a long form that uh, gives us a lot of information about you so that we can come into that first conversation prepared. And one of the questions on the form is how, uh, how obsessed with ranking are you? And the options are, you know, uh, very, uh, you know, it's the very top or nothing. And then there's an option that says, um, I want to go to the right school for me. There's a few other options, mm. but those are the two that people typically uh, pick. And um, I wouldn't call it necessarily a red flag, but maybe a yellow flag when somebody picks the, I'm very obsessed with rankings. It's the very top or nothing. Because ironically, our most competitive applicants, the ones with sky high GMATs and the just super fascinating extracurriculars and, and have, have already done great things with their careers, they all mm -hmm. tend to pick that they want to go to the right school for them. So, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it turns out that uh, the kind of like in uh, if you're like doing dating at all, it's like the less that... Uh, the less that you're worried about, you know, the sort of end goal, the better off you'll do. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I think, and I think that that's true for, for no matter what your um, sort of uh, competitive level is, right? Because um, look, we're all different applicants. And I, and I often tell people like, look, you are not how business will see you. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, you know, uh, I think we have a tendency to see ourselves as like our worth is determined based on what school we can get into. Like if I'm a Harvard man, like watch out, like I'm unstoppable. And if I have right. to go to a tier three or four school, then like, oh, my God, like I'm worthless. What have I done with my life? And it's just not true. There have been amazing um, people, you know, professionally who have gone to um, non-competitive schools there've been plenty of people who go to Harvard and just, you know, have, you know, can't really do much with their careers. And of course, careers aren't the only thing in life as well. Right. So, uh, one thing I like to say is like, you know, MBAs in, in, in many ways favor people who, who caught like an early win. Right. Um, you know, they're in a really, really good spot at, uh, at 26. Um, but if you're lucky, you probably have, you know, 40 years of working and left for you after that. So you have a lot of time to do good, to do good stuff, right? Right. Um, the business schools can't judge you on that time, right? They can't admit you based on, you know, the potential of what you'll do when you're 40 at 26. But, uh, but you can certainly judge yourself based on your, your, your long-term potential. Yeah. And I think that that, um, is a nice segue kind of into what we're going to talk about today. Cause I think, um, at the end of the day, you know, if you are looking at business school and particularly, um, you, I mean, you're entering into a very selective group, right? I don't know how many people go to business school each year, but it's a, it's a small percentage of the total working population, even if you narrow it down to people under 35, right? Which is kind of where it really starts to be a lot less common. Um, and so you're already kind of exceptional in the sense that you want to do this. And then your competition, particularly for the most selective schools, is some of the most exceptional people just in the business community or just in kind of America period. Um, and these people very often have a 4.0 GPA, a job out of college at Microsoft or 
Google or, you know, maybe they like joined a startup that w went through Y Combinator or whatever it is, right? Like there's oftentimes the, there's people that have just like a stellar sort of foundation to their resume, right? Because your GPA and your, your job experience are definitely cornerstones. So let's say you're one of those people or let's say that you're not. Either way, how are you going to stand out in that crowd, right? How are you going to really um, set yourself apart when you're applying to these MBA programs? Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly correct. And and I think uh, if I could just uh, digress with a, a story real quick, um, it's such a good point that I think people need to hear that, yes, it's such a competitive uh, applicant pool and there's so much stuff that is just so far beyond your control, right? Because mm -hmm. I, I remember, I have, I have so many great stories like this, but, but one, I'll tell you about my first applicant that got into Stanford. And I think Stanford mm -hmm. is, is, is well known to, to really be the most uh, comp competitive school. It's the hardest school to, to get into. Um, it's harder to get into than Harvard. And, and most people who get offered uh, a spot at Stanford and Harvard will choose Stanford. So I think the, if you look at the math, it's quite clear Stanford is the most selective school in the world. And uh, I had a, a, an applicant come to me many years ago who was interested in going to Stanford. He had a great GPA. He had a great uh, 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 undergrad, um, oh, sorry, great GMAT, great undergrad GPA, <clears throat> great work experience. Um, okay, uh, you know, sort of extracurriculars. He played uh, an instrument, I believe. And um, I felt like he was a strong applicant, but I didn't necessarily see anything to me that screamed like this has got to be slam one of the dunk, best. Great. Yeah, slam dunk, one of the best, one of the best in the world, right? So of course, you know, my job begins at you know crafting that that story and helping him bring those unique things forward. And um, throughout the conversation, uh, I notice that he's talking a little bit funny, like not quite with like a lisp or an accent, but he just had this like breathy way of speaking, and he was looking at me very, looking at my face very, very intently as we spoke. And uh, I asked him at some point, I said, is something wrong with your voice? And he goes, no, I'm deaf. Oh. And, <laughs> I go, and I go, what do you mean you're deaf? So he's and reading your lips the whole time? He's reading my lips the whole time. So he's like, he's, you know, he has some level of hearing. So he's not totally, totally uh, uh, deaf, but he's like 85, 90% deaf. Uh, working at Goldman Sachs, somehow managing to have, you know, some competitive job in finance, doing all, and I, I started asking him now, like, wait, what do you do? Like, how do you, you know, manage for this and that? And he's telling me all the things that he has, he's had to do throughout his life to be able to get to where he is as a deaf person. And my whole view of him changed in that moment. Or I'm like, oh my God, you're like, you're a superhero. <laughs> you know? Like, you're not the average nerd, you know? Like, this is, inc this is incredible. Um, I had one of my first uh, uh, Harvard uh, admits, similar kind of a, uh, uh, situation, strong profile. Um, definitely was going to go to a good school, but maybe didn't scream to me like one of the very top best in the world. And at the mm -hmm. bottom, he had extracurriculars and he said, it says competitive swimmer for 10 years or something like that. And I said, tell me about the competitive 
swimming. And he goes, ah, I'm really not into, you know, swimming anymore. But, yeah, I've done it for a long time. And, and uh, you know, it's pretty good. And I go, well, how, what's the highest level of competition that you've been in? And he goes, well, mm-hmm. I went to the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, That's what do you mean? Good. What do you mean the Olympics? And he goes, like, yeah, I swam, I swam for the Singapore Olympic team. And I said, okay, this feels like something that you should, you know, we should be, like, putting more uh, up front, you know? Um, right. And so why, right? Like, I mean, essentially, um, it, it, it's, it's how you stand out, right, is you have a unique thing. But, like, why do colleges care? Like, what – and I think that's a really important, like, uh, context for this. Yeah, there's, there's, there, that's a great question. I think there's two ways to answer that question. One, uh, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll go into this more uh, in a bit, but, but one piece is that um, it's just interesting, and they're in the business of creating these, like, interesting, diverse classes. Um, yeah. So if you have something like this that just really makes you stand out, makes you unique, um, it's, it's good for the class, right? Uh, it's just, it's just, it creates a richer, uh, environment and learning uh, experience for everybody there. If there are people who can bring these like really interesting experience experiences into the marketplace of ideas, uh, in the classroom. And then number two is that, um, you know, a lot of these things, they, the perspectives that they create in life and the, um, the skills that they build, the discipline, the determination that is required uh, for, for some of this stuff uh, is very translatable to the business world. Right. right? Um, so, you know, somebody who's made it to the Olympics, I mean, this is someone who for sure has an unbelievable amount of determination and, and discipline. Um, you know, yes. he probably is a talented swimmer as well. That's not going to be as, <laughs> as, as relevant in business school, but mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of talented swimmers that would like to go to, to the Olympics. Probably the one that gets there is going to have that mixture of talent and then the ability to, to really apply it. And yes. the theory is that he's going to be able to take that same discipline and apply it to whatever he focuses on next. Yeah, and I think that that's such an important piece of context, right? Um, Because, I mean, really, like, you know, if this episode is about how to stand out from the other 4.0 GPA people, the truth of it is that most colleges don't want a bookworm that has nothing else going on, right? Like, it's fine if you're a bookworm, but it's, it's really if that's kind of your entire life, they're the thing about business school especially is that like you need to kind of have more to be successful and it's you know some of it could be things like if you're a swimmer that means you've got kind of the intangibles going on if you're deaf that means that you've had to learn how to be creative and solve problems for yourself that other people have never solved and it or it could also mean you know that you're going to contribute to the campus well beyond just your grades and your academic prowess, you're going to contribute socially, which is also very important in the business world, or you're going to contribute in terms of, you know, impact or things like that. Right. So those are kind of, at least for me, I feel like those are kind of the main areas where people can diversify their resume a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. I mean, the importance of uh, strong test scores, uh, strong GPA and, and, you know, work experience as well, uh, can't be understated. It's very, very hard, uh, to, you know, um, 
it's very hard to to completely overcome these things. You know, there's just not a lot of people with like an under 600 GMAT, or I'm not sure what the GRE equivalent would be like at Harvard, right? They do right. get they do get there sometimes. It's not it's not completely <laughs> it's not it's not uh, unheard of that it'll happen, but it's very very rare. Um, but once you get sort of into this big pool of people that have those good the good you know quantitative metrics. Um, that's still a very crowded field, right? So at a certain point, you get to a stage where you're really competing against people who kind of have your test scores and, and your GPA and stuff like that. And how do you differentiate yourself from there? And I think that there's so much that you can do uh, for that. And and the the key thing is really to use the application to give the admissions committee, the information that they need to make a decision and to give them a clear picture of who you are so they can decide mm. if they love you, right? And I think that the goal is not to try to make them love you because that's what a lot of applicants do. They say, okay, you know, Wharton, you know, really wants people like this or Sloan really wants people like this. So I'm going to show how I'm like that. And that doesn't work. Um, it rings totally inauthentic. But if you can show who you are in a really um, rich, colorful way, it gives them an opportunity to say, wow, Tyler is, it seems like he'd be a great addition to the class. We really like him and we'd like to offer him a, him a place. Right. Yeah. And I think that it's also important to remember that compared to undergraduate admissions, it's a different ballgame, right? Um Usually it's a professor. I mean, some business schools definitely have like an admissions department, but sometimes it's also a professor in the business school reading it as opposed to an admissions officer. They'll never actually see the kid on campus. Right. So they have they want to kind of know that you're a, a cool person. Um, and then the other thing, too, is, you know, MBA applicants for a given program, I think what the, like Stanford or Harvard, maybe they get five thousand maybe it's eight thousand applications a year that is a tenth of what their undergraduate programs get right if not less so there's a lot more time to kind of devote to each really kind of understanding each application and so that's where they really try to understand you yeah that's absolutely correct and I, i'm sorry let me start to correct you about one thing but pretty much every sure. business school is going to have uh, an admissions department Okay. And the uh, the admissions are led primarily by the admissions department. So some of the many of the admissions committees will incorporate professors, but the uh, the, the people that you're trying to convince are, are primarily the admissions officers of, of the schools uh, uh, themselves. But you are okay, right yeah. that each school actually spends a good amount of time on each application, much more so than for undergraduate uh, admissions. Undergraduate admissions is much more driven by demographics, test scores. Um, the essay for undergraduate admissions, I think, is probably not as important as it is for business school. Um, right. in interview, the same thing. Uh, you're also much younger when you're applying for undergrad. So I think they recognize you're not really a fully formed human. <laughs> yeah, Whereas, yeah. Uh, you know, in business school, I think that they expect to have more of a sense of, of, of who you are at that point, and, and you need to be able to show that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm curious, too. I mean, so we've talked a bit about sort of the importance of 
of finding sort of your unique angle standing out, but you know, not everybody's deaf or not every, not everybody is an Olympic swimmer. Right. So what is your advice for people to find their own angle, right? Like their own sort of unique uh, point of view on it. Yeah. Great, great question. So, so here's what I, I sort of discovered, right? Um, early in the uh, admissions consulting game, so to speak, uh, I, I just started talking to tons of admissions officers. I would go to all these different, um, you know, admissions like uh, uh, coffee chats and stuff that people would travel and come to here. And um, I would listen to what they say that they're looking for. Because there's always someone that would say, what are you guys looking for? And I would listen. I would read on the website. I would speak to the admissions officers. And they would um, put, the, put it in different ways. But I noticed they're really looking for, for four things. Uh, so one of them is fit, right? And what does fit mean? People always talk about fit. I, I think what fit really means in this context is that you're a cultural fit to the school, right? Mm -hmm. So if there's something that the school is kind of known for, um, that you'll be a good fit, you'll be able to, to add into that. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, you have to be like just like them, right? Because they're interested in people that are going to come and add to the culture. But um, there should be some alignment. For example, INSEAD is a school that really prides itself on being hyper-international, they have uh, a, a, a you know student body made up of kids from all over the world who are really interested, engaged in engaging with people from other cultures. So, as an applicant, if you've lived in different countries, if you've made it a point, uh, even as an adult, to live and work in different countries to learn different languages, this is a really clear signal to INSEA that hey, this applicant is one of us. This is someone that really is going to fit in here, right? Um, it's going to be a lot harder to make that case if you've only lived in one country and you don't speak any languages beyond maybe English and or in like your native tongue. If there is like a you know if if, if that your native tongue is, is not English, right? right. Um, they want they want the person who grew up in Japan but speaks Portuguese and and worked in 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 Nairobi uh, after college, right? Uh, so that's the element of fit. Yeah. And I think it's also, I mean, at the end of the day, the important thing to remember is regardless of uh, the rankings or your test scores and other people's GPAs and whatever it is, like the admissions officers are mostly trying to find the right people like for the place. And that to them is generally a pretty holistic view and not really so quantitatively focused. There's a very solid qualitative component, right? So you should trust when an admissions officer is making a decision that they're trying to basically make the right decision for you based on what they can figure out from your application. That's, that's absolutely correct. And I think uh, we see that sometimes where um, the admissions officers actually do the students a huge favor by rejecting them because mm -hmm. somebody, that person probably wouldn't have been happy at that program and they probably wouldn't have been successful at that program. Now, that said, I do also see uh, a lot of situations where applicants have great stuff uh, to talk about and they just don't bring it forward. So my job mm -hmm. is, to, is to help these people bring those, bring those things forward so that the admissions officers can make the right decision. But Tyler, if you don't mind, I'll go on because I have four factors here. Fit is just one of them. Sure. The second one is aptitude, right? Mm -hmm. So business school is hard. Some business schools are harder than others. 
And the admissions committee needs to know that you're going to have the ability to uh, get through the program, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that means that, you know, this is all the stuff that, that applicants almost always like just focus on, uh, right? So this is your test scores. This is your, which is a stand in for your intellect, you know, your, your work ethic, your <laughs> discipline, all these qualities. So this is what most applicants will sort of lead with. Guys, I'm super smart. I'm super hardworking. I'm going places, blah, 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 right? Uh, yeah. this, this messaging kind of washes out after a while. But it is important. You do need to address it. And um, there are some smart ways to, to, to address this, you know, qualitatively. The easiest way to address it is through your test scores and your, and your, and your GPA. <laughs> right. right. And, I mean, it's the kind of thing that it feels like, um, for lack of a better word, I know this isn't exactly right, but it's, you, you kind of need to check the box to an extent, right? It's like your aptitude can't be coming in way lower than they need. Um, but otherwise, as long as it's in the range, then, you know, they're going to take a hard enough look at your application that everything else should matter. Yeah. I, th I think most admissions officers are looking for reasons to admit, admit, um, applicants that they like. Right. So, um, if you have a 500 GMAT, you're not going to get in saying like, Hey guys, I'm a genius. Right. Cause it just doesn't, it's just, it doesn't fly. Right. Right, but you, you, have, you could be deaf and an Olympic swimmer, but with the 500 GMAT, it's, no, it's hard it's for not, them. It's, it's not hard for them to trust yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> because they, they don't want you to fail out. What you can do, exactly. What you can do is, you know, you can be 50 or 100 points below the average GMAT of a school that you're applying to. So let's say you're applying to, you know, one of the M7 schools where the average GMAT now is probably 740. And maybe mm -hmm. you have a, you know, 690 uh, GPA, which is probably one standard deviation uh, below the mean for these guys. And you can, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily say, hey, I'm dumb, which you're not dumb. If you're getting a 690 GMAT, you're not dumb. But, you, you know, you can intimate in your application, hey, look, I'm the guy who stays at the office until the job is done. And I'm the guy that when they're putting a team together at my firm, they always want me first because they know that I don't let go of the problem until it's solved. Those are value. Those are valuable things that aren't going to be captured in the, in the GMAT score. Right. Right. And, and it shows aptitude too. So cool. That's number two. I like that one. What's number three for you? N number three is motivation. Mm -hmm. So they want to know why you're going to business school and there's a lot of uh, range here. So the reality is that most applicants are applying to business school because they're looking for sort of a leg up in their in their career. Um, but this, depending on how you present this, this can really work for you or, or work against you. So um, the reality is that most uh, MBA programs are going to be most excited to accept the people that kind of need them the least, right? So you yeah. have people <laughs> just like dating again. Exactly. Exactly. It's very, it's really very similar. Actually, there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's a lot of corollaries there, but if you have, um, an applicant who's just absolutely crushing it in their career and goes, look, I've always wanted to get an MBA and I feel like this is the right time for me, but my boss just offered me this incredible promotion. And frankly, like, I have a job waiting for me that, you know, most MBA students would be happy to, to get post-graduation already, right? right? That is the, um, 
that's the applicant that schools really want because they feel like number one, they de-risk the you know sort of uh, career uh, you know profile of this person, and then two, they know that they're applying to business school for the right reason. They really want to go. They really want the education. They want the network. They're thinking about it in a long-term way. Um, right. They're not so interested in the kid who's like just bummed out of his job. You know, it felt like he did. You know, he came out of the gate strong in undergrad, but things are just flatlined. He's like, I'm 20, or he or she is like, you know, I'm 26, 27, and how come I, you know, I've barely gotten a raise in the last couple of years? Let me go to business school to to try to you know get a shot in the arm for my career. Um, that, again, that's the majority of applicants, and it's important to differentiate yourself from that because it doesn't excite the admissions committee. They're not excited to say, oh yeah, let's give this <laughs> you know this guy or girl. A shot in the arm, right? Um, right. They what they what they want in in my sort of words, which I'm curious what you think about it, but they want somebody that is self motivated and kind of dynamic, right? That's gonna create something as a or create an opportunity, even if that's a job, not necessarily a startup, um, as opposed to kind of you know you're going through the motions and this feels like a good step. Yeah, I think they want someone that knows what knows what they want and why they're doing this, right? Because um, mm-hmm. that makes you more productive. It absolutely does, and you see it, right? You see, you see the difference between the people that arrive in in uh, business school, like, okay, well, I didn't really know what else to do, uh, so I'm here now, versus the people who came in, like, okay, I know exactly what I want out of this, I know exactly why I'm here, let's do it, right? Yeah. Uh, they want that. They want that latter category of people. And then, what's number four? Number four is experience. So, what have you done in your life? Certainly in your career, but outside of your your career as well. That's going to be interesting for your classmates, and that's going to add to that marketplace of ideas in, in the classroom. So, this can be anything uh, interesting. And this is where you know, um, certainly, obviously, if you've been to the Olympics, if you're deaf. You know, these things can be really interesting, but mm-hmm. there could be all kinds of interesting uh, stuff in there that you can bring to the, to, the, to the front. And I think a lot of people, particularly uh, international applicants, they don't realize how interesting some of their life experiences are um, in, a, in a U.S. or European context, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these can be very unusual things. You know, you have one... Uh, have one um, when I had one applicant who uh, grew up, his, fa- his father is a polygamous man, um, and he had like 27 brothers and sisters in one house. And, in one uh, house? Wow, that, one got, house. that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah, growing up together. And he said, you know, in a sense, he saw his dad very much as like a, a manager at home that, uh, and you know, kind of looking at that experience uh, made him, and he, did, you know, he's decided that he wants to live, you know, sort of a more traditional Western life. But he retained this interest in sort of managing people, and he's really passionate about managing people and administration. And um, he wrote his essay about this, and I, I, I think, you know, there's certainly there's some cultural um, uh, uh, minefields, you know, he could have stepped in here, but he, he managed it really, really well. I think he told this like incredibly interesting story and he got into a phenomenal school. 
Right. I mean, another thing, an example I heard in a different uh, podcast conversation I had was there was a woman who grew up with um, her grandmother, right? Like it was just like a, a culture where the grandmother is still living in the house with the parents. Um, and the grandmother was absolutely insistent that they read together every night because when she was a little girl, she wasn't allowed to read in the particular culture that they were in. Yeah. And like how that affected her and the importance of education and educating women and all these things. And frankly, you, that might be pretty normal in the place where you're from to have your grandma be home and to have grandma read you a book at night. Like you don't really think that that's like a novel thing, but in the West, in the United States, that is a pretty <laughs> novel thing. Right. Sure. Um, and it can tell a story about you like uh, something being novel for the sake of being novel is in my mind, not enough. It's, it's that it has to weave into the story of, and this is why I want to do this with my life. Right. That that's absolutely correct. Yeah. And they, whatever experience that you share should be offer an insight into who you are as a person. And it should be mm. something sincere, right? Because after they read the essays, there is that one final check where they get the opportunity to meet you. And the primary reason for that interview is that they want to determine if you are the same person that's in the application. Are you a catfish? Right? <laughs> and and they're going to be able to tell whether they do it sort of... Um, so some, some places do what they call the, the blind interviews, which means that the interviewer has not seen the application. Other uh, people, uh, other schools will do it where they do see the application. But regardless, if they compared the notes of the interviewer to the rest of the application and they feel like they're getting, they're really meeting two different people, you know, the application says, oh, I'm super extroverted. I'm the guy in the center of the party. I love to be the center of attention. And the interviewer says, you know, this applicant was extremely shy and understated. You know, nothing will kill your application faster than that, that kind of incongruency because now they feel like they can't trust you. So what's the safest way to do it? You have two options. One is you just keep lying, right? <laughs> Until you or, get out of business school, yeah. Yeah, or probably your whole life. You can't, you can't, stop, you can't stop lying once you get out of business school, actually, because then you have your career ahead of you. So you either commit to lying for the rest of your life and just being, you know, a double agent forever, or... What I think is a little easier is you just really be yourself. Present yourself as you really are. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, like you said, these admissions officers might be doing you a favor by rejecting you as long as you're honest about who you are and about like who you're going to be at this school, right? Because if you're really looking to become a Fortune 500 CEO someday you know, maybe you shouldn't go to Stanford. Stanford's more of a place for people who want to start a brand new startup from scratch, right? And maybe you'd be better off at Harvard, right? And there's like all kinds of little like nuances or kind of who wants what, where, and who th do they think is going to fit that they are thinking about. And so if you lie, then you're just giving them bad information to make a very important decision for your life, right? <laughs> That's, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. I mean, I love the, I, I always, you know, in everything I kind of say, be genuine. Um, I love, I love the four tips that you gave and I feel like we've covered a lot here. Any kind of far, parting thoughts or final thoughts on this topic? Sure, sure, sure. Sorry. I think, uh, the, 
the main idea that I try to instill with people is that, you know, most applicants come in with the idea that they have to prove that they're better than the other applicants. Actually, you don't have to do that. You just have to sort of differentiate yourself. And mm -hmm. it's impossible for you. You don't know enough about the rest of the applicants to, to sort of intentionally differentiate yourself. So the way to do it is just show them who you are. And I think part of why coaching works so well in this circumstance is that, you know, we're all a little insecure. And sometimes it takes someone else with a keen eye to say, hey, actually, here's what I see when I'm, I'm seeing you. You've got some great stuff here. Mm -hmm. And just bring that stuff forward. Be like, hey, this is what I do that's, that is really great. These are, these are some of the things that I've done that, that people are really interesting, find really interesting. Here's why I think I'm a great fit for your school. And I think I'm going to kill it. And right. oftentimes that's enough. Exactly. Thank you so much. This has been GRE Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Lawrence Linker from NBA Link. Achievable has a great online GRE course that you can try for free by going to achievable.me. And if you like it, be sure to use the code podcast to save 10%.